Man, it, it's just so awesome to come into God's presence and, and you just feel Him so real and you hear Him speaking to you and you just say, God, speak more, speak more. And so today we're going to uh, continue our series on prayer. Um, and last week, uh, Pastor talked a lot about uh, forgiveness. We've been working our way through the Lord's Prayer, which we use as a model to teach us how to pray. And so just by way of review, uh, we're going to read through that passage here in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. You all should know this one. If you don't, uh, the translation might be a little different from how you memorized it, but it goes like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Father God, as we come to you today, I pray that you would just have your way in this service. Lord, it is apparent to me that you are already trying to get a hold of our attention. You're trying to say something to somebody in this room today. Lord, I pray that you would make their spirit receptive. Pray that you would open their ears to hear your voice. Lord God, I pray that you would anoint this time together. Lord, so that we might hear from you and be changed. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week, as I mentioned, Pastor was talking about forgiveness. And, uh, and that's a big part of the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive us as we forgive others. And so, you know, the first step of that is just walking in who you are. I'm a forgiven person. I, I am someone whose, whose sins and whose shortcomings and whose failings are all under the blood of Christ. And that gives us a confidence and an ability to stand and say, this is who I am. You know, I, I was talking to a young man earlier before church, and he was telling me about a friend of his who he's been trying to help. And, and he was telling me about how she's been having self-esteem issues and, and how she's been living in fear because she comes out of a rough home life and that sort of thing. And, and he said, I just don't know what to do for her. And I said, well, you know, you can't fix her problems for her, but you can remind her who she is. She's a child of God. She's loved. And it doesn't matter what the situation that she's going through. You know, she can stand firm in that identity. And when we do that, any sort of self-esteem issues that we have just melt away. Now, I'm not saying they won't come back. We all tend to do that. We're all pretty hard on ourselves. I mean, all you have to do is look around and you see so many people today that are just bound up in anxiety. When if they would just remember that they are forgiven people, that God loves them, that God sacrificed himself for them, then there's nothing to be down on yourself about. But then let's turn that a little bit and we go to the idea of forgiving others. You know, we, once we are forgiven, that gives us the freedom to be able to look at others and say, I forgive you because I've been forgiven. And that is the next step of, of this thing. You, you go from forgiveness and knowing who you are to forgiving others and then even interceding for them. When, when I was younger in high school, um, we would go and we would play in these, uh, uh, golf tournaments. Now, I was not very good at golf, but uh, the, the statewide Illinois Church of God golf tournament would always fall on the weekend of my birthday. And so, uh, you know, dad had to obviously go and participate in this tournament because he was part of the state leadership team. And so he would let me skip school and go with him and go play golf. And I was not very good at all. I mean, I'm still not very good. Uh, but 
I, I would still participate in this tournament. And the, the, the thing about it is they, would, they, they called it a best ball tournament. So if you've never played golf before and you've never played in a best ball tournament, the way it works is everybody on the team will hit the ball, and whoever does the best, you'll, you'll say that's the one that counts, right? So, uh, so you could have three of you get up there and shank the ball off into the woods, but as long as at least one of you can put it in the middle of the fairway, you're okay. And so... Um, you know, like I said, I was not a very good golfer, but I would occasionally, you know, even, even, a, even a blind squirrel gets a nut from time to time, you know, and so occasionally I'd hit a decent shot. So that was my goal. My goal was, listen, I'm not going to come in here and win this tournament for my team, but if I can get at least one good shot, then the rest of the team can carry me. And what's interesting is sometimes it's that way in life. You know, we feel like we're bumbling from mistake to mistake to mistake, but it's like, hey, every now and again, I get it right, right? Uh, but what we need is we need somebody who's there to support us on the times when we, you know, slice it off into the lake or we hook it into the woods or whatever. So if you have someone there who's with you, who can intercede and, and, and take your spot and do it on your behalf, it puts you in a better place. And then by working together, you can put together a pretty decent score. Um, you know, and, and this is an idea that, that carries on throughout sports. You know, you look at baseball and, and um, they have a, a special position called the designated hitter. You know, this is someone who will get up and they will, they will hit for someone else in the, in the rotation that's not as good of a batter. Um, and I didn't realize, because I'm not a super big baseball fan, but I did not realize that that's, that's a difference between the National League and the American League, is that the National League doesn't use the designated hitters. And so apparently they're, they're still trying to work out, should we use this or not? But the, the nice part is, is that you can have the best pitcher in the world, but he might not be able to bat his way out of a paper sack. But that's when you pick the designated hitter, you pull him in and you say, hey, this beastie can come over here and knock it out of the park. So we're going to let him go to bat for you. And because of that, it's going to help you and it's going to help the whole team. And so that's what we need to do as Christians. We need to be going to bat for other people. And we do that through intercession. This song that we just sang about how we fight our battles and how we're not fighting in flesh, but we're fighting a spiritual battle. You know, that's true. You know, we get caught up in what we can see, but we don't realize that there's something going on all around us. It is spiritual warfare. And if we try to do everything under our own power, if we try to say, I'm going to figure out all the solutions, I'm going to do it all myself, we're never going to get anywhere. But when we lean on God and, and, and trust him, he'll take care of us. And then, then we say, hey, listen, this is pretty easy. You know, I prayed, I trusted God and God took care of me. Let's turn this in, uh, from a weapon of defense to a weapon of offense. I'm going to go before my father's throne and I'm going to request uh, his blessing for others too. And I'm going to stand in the gap for them. I'm going to, to go to bat for them and lift them up. Intercession is, is the act, it's an act or an interposition on behalf of someone else in difficulty or in trouble, it, uh, as by pleading or petition. So this is when you go and you plead and you say, please, you know, I need you to help someone, but you're not just helping yourself, you're helping others. It is a prayer on behalf of another. Intercession takes uh, forgiveness, which you have for yourself, and once you learn to really walk in that forgiveness... Um, th then we have freedom, right? We, we have confidence. And, and that's one of the things. Too often we, we walk around and we feel like, well, yeah, I, I know that God forgave me of my sins, but I'm still a sinner and I still feel bad. Um, but, but we have to picture it as that debt has been paid. 
There was a, um, there, there's a story of, of, a, of a preacher who had given his life to ministry, had, 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 had preached, had pastored people for, for 60 years, and then finally he passes away and he goes to heaven. And the story goes is that when he arrives at the pearly gates, you know, they, they start to quiz him. They say, listen, have, have you always been faithful? And he had to say, well, no, I haven't. And they said, well, have you always been truthful? And he said, well, well no, I, I haven't always been truthful either. Did you always control your anger and, and your tongue and how you spoke about others? And he had to say, well, well no, I didn't do that either. And, and so the people in line behind him, they were getting real nervous. They're like, hey, this guy's lived his whole life serving God. And if he's having to answer no to all these questions, there's no chance we're getting in, right? And so as the questioning continued, uh, the, 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 the pastor, he found himself in a place where he just felt like, man, I, I haven't done it. I haven't accomplished what God asked me to do. He wanted me to be obedient. And, and here I've been trying to lead other people, and I've been failing. And yet at that moment, when it came time to, to issue the sentence of whether he would get into heaven or not, there was a voice that broke in and said, although he hasn't been faithful, and although he hasn't always been truthful, and although he's had many failings and many shortcomings, I've already paid that debt. And so he gets to come into heaven anyway. And that's what Jesus does for us. He intercedes for us. When we couldn't make it on our own, he lifted us up. And that's what we are called to do for others. So this idea of forgiveness, it's easy to accept it for ourselves, right? Because we say, uh, you know, I, I need to be forgiven. I, I tried to make it right. And so God, you've forgiven me. But then it's a much harder when we have to turn around and give that same forgiveness to other people. And so you, you almost have to be systematic about it. There's several different steps that you go through this. First of all, you need to tally up all of the wrongs that have been held against you. And you think, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like typical advice is to, is to sit here and list out all the different ways that I've been wronged. But if you do that, you're doing a couple things. First of all, you get to acknowledge the hurt. You know, too often we want to just try and forget about it, try and move on. Have you ever known anybody who, after you guys got at, at odds with each other, and then for whatever reason there was a little bit of a, of a reconciliation, but they just want to move on and pretend like none of that ever happened? Yeah. But that doesn't really deal with the issue. You have to acknowledge the fact that there was something that happened here that should not have happened. I was hurt through this process. And so you tally up those, those wrongs that are held against you. Um, some people, uh, they, just, they refuse to acknowledge it. They, they, they say, I'm not even going to, to acknowledge that I've been hurt. Um, recently, there's been a, a big hubbub online. They, there was an, an article that came out, and it was talking about the Green Bay Packers and how they've struggled over the past couple seasons. And as a Bears fan, you know, I was eating it up. You know, I'm loving this, that, that they had a lot of tension and that their team wasn't firing the way it was supposed to have. But it was, it was really kind of an interesting look. And they, they started looking, and they said, well, where did the dysfunction creep in? And they tried to track it back to certain games where maybe the, the coach and, and, and Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback, weren't getting along or they didn't see things correctly. Or, or maybe you know, one, of, one of the younger players dropped an important pass and they tried, to, they tried to trace the dysfunction back and they kept going and they kept going further back and they kept going further back all the way to when uh, Aaron Rodgers was drafted. And it turns out that the coach, Mike McCarthy, uh, had been with another team and they had passed on Aaron Rodgers. They had not selected him in the draft. And he had fallen from, he was supposed to be a first day draft pick and he fell all the way down into the second day and, and, and it was an embarrassment for him. 
And so they said, really, from the very beginning, he, he, uh, Aaron Rodgers and the coach, they, 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 they didn't get along because Rodgers was still nurser, nursing this, this hurt from the fact that they passed on me. They didn't think I was good enough. They didn't think I was going to be a, a good uh, football player. And, and because of that, they, they, they just never were able to get on the same page. Um, but we have to acknowledge our hurt. If we continue to just bury it and, and pretend like it didn't happen, it's not like that hurt and that pain goes away. You know, it stays in there and then it festers. You know, how many of you in your marriage, uh, you know, you, you get in, in a place where maybe you get into a little bit of a, of a disagreement about something, but then it, it can be something stupid about like, you know, putting the dishes away wrong or, or you know, you, you didn't turn this light off or, or, or you, you know, I mean, it can be something so, so simple. But then it's like once there's that little breach in the dam, all of this pent up uh, anger and hurt and things. And, oh, and by the way, you said this and you did this and, and it all just starts come pouring out because it hasn't been dealt with. Yeah. And so we have to, if we are going to forgive others, we have to acknowledge the hurt. Sometimes we have to stop and say, you know, I forgive you, but that I was hurt. That hurt me. You know, there were nights when I couldn't sleep because I was thinking about the things that were said and done. You know, we have to acknowledge the fact that, that what happened here was a situation that should never have occurred. We have to acknowledge that, that pain. But here's what you do. Once you have that list of pain, you don't hold on to it and you don't nurse it. You don't put it away in a journal so that you can go back and remind yourself how angry you ought to be at that person. No, what you do is you take that list and then you hand it to God. And you say, God, you have, you have seen the, the wrongs that have been done to me and my family. You have seen the, the, the injustice that has occurred from time to time. Lord, I have listed it all out. These things hurt me. They cut me to the quick. They broke my heart. But I'm going to take this list and I'm going to hand it over to you. And I'm going to trust you to do what is right and to bring about justice. And you know, sometimes God will bring that justice in this life. There are people who pay for the things that they do wrong here and now. But there are others that get away with it. But they're going to have to answer for their actions someday. And so if God is a just God, we trust him and we say, that's how we're able to forgive. We say, listen, it might never be made right. How many of you have ever uh, gotten crossways with somebody and then, you know, it, it was time to move on. It was time to move past that. But that person just could not bring themselves to admit that they were wrong. They could not admit and, and say, I'm sorry. Anybody ever had that sort of situation before? Yeah. yeah. And it is so frustrating. Yeah. And we can hold on to that. We could say, listen, I'm never going to forgive them until they come to me and they grovel and they beg and they say, oh, please forgive me because I've done you wrong. Some people will never do that. No. Will never, ever do that. But you hand that over to the Lord and you say, God, I trust you that you're going to take care of this. We're going to forgive. Why? Because I've been forgiven. I didn't deserve the forgiveness, but I received it. They might not deserve it, but I'm going to give it. And so that's what you do. You tally it up and you give it to God. And then third, you choose to love people unconditionally. And that's hard. That's really, really hard. I mean, if we think about it, almost every relationship we have, there's some sort of condition. I mean, really, it, it is. Um, they, you, know, it, it, you, you say that you're going to love someone unconditionally. I, I might love Pizza Hut. But they mess up my order too many times, and my love for, for Pizza Hut's going to go away. 
You know, there are certain restaurants here in town. I refuse to go to them anymore because I don't think they've ever gotten my order right even one time. And so my love for that restaurant, my love for the food, no matter how much I love their, their hamburger or their chicken or whatever it is that they make, you know, my love for them was conditional. It was conditional on them giving me the good stuff I wanted, right? And it's the same way with people, you know, we, we try to say, well, I love you unconditionally, but then at the same time we think, you know, well, what am I getting out of this relationship? And we start looking at it and we start thinking, we start keeping score and we might say, you know, well, well, I paid for his dinner and he never paid me back, you know, or I'm, I went out of my way to, to call him or, or her on her birthday and send her a card in the mail. And I don't think she's ever called me on my birthday one time. And we start keeping tally and we start keeping track. And what we have to do is we have to realize that if we start doing that, then, then nobody's going to measure up. Right, because we all fail, and we all uh, we, we all do, uh, overlook other people. We make mistakes. Um, you you try to be careful about it. You try to remember. I mean, now we use Facebook to try and remind us whose birthday it is and all that kind of stuff. But you're going to forget, and so we can't love people conditionally. We have to love people unconditionally because that's the way we are loved. Think about your family. You know, your family is supposed to be. The, the most obvious example to you of unconditional love, right? I, I mean, some of us come from good homes, and, and, and so we had that experience. Others of us did not come from that. And so it's much harder for us to understand what unconditional love is. But, but one of the things you have to understand is like, as a parent, you might look at your child and you say, they could do a lot of things that, that would hurt me. They could do a lot of things that I would be disappointed in. You know, they could do a lot of things that, that, that I wish had gone another way, but my love for them is not going to go away because no matter what they do, that's going to be my son or daughter until they die, you know? And so that, that unconditional love that we reserve a lot of times for our family, we have to learn how to take that, perfect it in our families, and then push it out to everybody else as well. And that is difficult to do. So how do we do this? How do we cultivate uh, unconditional love? Well, you have to have a desire for the good of the other person. Okay? So this desire comes from God. It's a, it's a desire to, to, to see God's blessing on other people. God wants us to want other people to have good things, even those who've hurt us. Even, and, and so we want them, when God places that desire inside of you, you want them to experience the blessing that you received. You want them to experience the forgiveness that you received. You want them to experience the grace and the mercy that God gave to you. You want it for them too. And that's really hard to do because there's some real knuckleheads out there, right? And there are times when something happens to them and we think, good, they deserved that. They brought that on themselves. But yet you can't sit there and say, God bless me. God bless me. You know, shower your, your grace and your mercy on me, but don't give it to him. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that we should desire all of the good things that we want for ourselves. We desire it for other people as well. God places that desire inside of you. God uses us to minister to other people. God, God, he has all the resources in the world. He, he, he owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Anything that God wants to do, he can, boom, speak it into existence. And yet he still uses us to minister to the physical needs of other people. 
You know, why is it that, that Christian organizations are the leading uh, organizations for, for food banks and homeless shelters and orphanages, looking after people who can't look after themselves? Why do we do that? Because God uses us to minister to the physical needs of other people. But it doesn't stop at the physical need. People have spiritual needs. People have emotional needs. And so we can't neglect and say, well, I, I, I fed them. Well, you know, we, we did donate clothes or, or we did raise money to, to, to support the, the running of the orphanage. We can't just think about those physical needs that have been met and say, job done, you know, mission accomplished. No, we have to, to, to also work for the spiritual and emotional needs of people. Um, so God uses us to do that. How does he do that? He gives us eyes to see what the need is. And if you see the need, then maybe it's your job to help meet it. You know, oftentimes in ministry, it's easy to look at other churches and say, man, uh, this church has a really awesome food bank ministry, and that is so great. And maybe we should have that at our church as well. So then you go back and you say, hey, pastor, I think we, want, we need to start a food bank ministry just like they have down the street. They're touching so many lives. They're touching so many people. Well, guess what? Your pastor's probably got enough on his plate. So God opened your eyes and let you see a, a way that you could be a blessing to other people. So then maybe the responsibility should fall to you to follow through on that. How can I do that? How can I minister to others? And when God gives you that burden or that desire for other people, then that's where intercession steps in. Intercession is as much about you as it is about the person you're praying for. Now, how does that work? Well, the, the reality is, is that God has the power to do anything he wants, right? If, if I'm praying for God to heal someone, he, he has that power to heal whether I pray or not. He has the ability to do that. So why does God want me to come and pray for someone else? Why does God instruct us to gather the elders and to lay on hands and to pray for people? Why does he do that? Because it's as much about the people who are doing the praying as the person who's getting prayed for. All right? God is using that experience to try and align your heart with his heart. He wants you to see that person that you're praying for. If I have a burden for Paul here on the front row, and, and I want to see God's blessing for him, and God's placed a burden in my heart for him, then I'm praying for him. I'm seeing him as God sees him. I'm seeing him as a child of God. I'm seeing him as someone who God wants to bless. And so you have to learn how to, to, to see other people the way God sees them. Um, you have to, to uh, sympathize with people. It's hard to sympathize sometimes when you've not been through an experience. You know, if you come from a broken home, um, or if you don't come from a broken home, it's hard to relate to someone who does because you don't have that experience. If you've never experienced, uh, you know, some terrible things that happen in life, the loss of, uh, loss of a spouse or the loss of a child, you know, it's hard to relate to someone who, who does. And, and that's one of the things that I try to be very careful about when I'm trying to, to pray for someone and I'm trying to support them and, and, and do that sort of thing. I try to be very careful and, and not say, well, I know how you feel because I don't. I don't know how that person feels. But when we look at people and we pray for them and we desire the good for them, just like God desires for us, we do sympathize with them. And we, we put ourselves in a place where we can say, listen, I might not have felt the pain, the specific pain that you have felt, 
but I know what it's like to feel forgotten. I know what it feels like to feel uh, betrayed. I know what it feels like to experience a loss. And, and I want God to heal you and to bring you out of that pain and to move you beyond it. See, God can do anything he pleases, and yet he chooses to work through us. Why? Because it's, a, it's, a, it's multiplication. You know, um, now God can be anywhere. God can do anything. But he desires for us to be knit together into community. He desires for us to have good relationships with each other. Why are the two greatest commandments is to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor? You know, God wants us to be interconnected. God wants us to rely on each other. There's a, uh, there was a story uh, not too long ago of a, of a Sri Lankan missionary. She was sharing about uh, the, the work that they were doing there in Sri Lanka. And, and so their greatest success was in um, training the Christians that were being converted and coming into the faith, training them then to be intercessors for the, the rest of the community. And what's interesting is that the new Christians, that the ones that had converted and had become uh, believers, they weren't in any better position than the others. I mean, the whole nation was, was poor and, and in poverty, and it was hard to, to get ahead, and, and they all had these needs. And yet, there, it became a reputation that if you're having trouble, if you're going through a hard time, you need to go to your Christian neighbor because they will pray for you. You know, they're just as poor as we are. They don't have any more resources than we have, but they have something that we don't. They have access to God. They can pray and something happens. I can't explain it, but something happens. And that became the greatest um, uh, gospel evangelization tool that they had was that people were coming to them and saying, listen, I don't know how this works. I don't know how prayer works. I don't know why God hears you and listens to you and responds to you, but I need you to pray for me. And, and so that's what we should be working towards. Intercession is, is all throughout the Bible. We can find examples throughout. Um, on Wednesday nights, we've been doing a study on the life of Abraham. And in Genesis 18, you see Abraham going to bat, interceding with God on behalf of Sodom. You know, will you not destroy the city for, for 50, for 40, for 30, for 10? You know, Abraham was doing everything in his power. Now, if Sodom was destroyed or not, it didn't affect Abraham. He was going to be okay. Why did he care what happened to Sodom? It sounded to me like the, the people that lived in Sodom were a bunch of jerks, and maybe they had it coming, you know? And yet Abraham stood on the mountain and put himself in a position where he was pleading on their behalf. He was praying to God for them. And uh, we, we see also Moses. Uh, in Exodus chapter 32, the, the Israelites had done it again. They'd messed up again. I feel like the story of the Israelites in the wilderness could be my story. I, I feel like every time I mess up, it's like, God, I did it, I did it again, you know? And, and so Moses, at this point, he finds himself where he's having to intercede and plead with God. God, please don't destroy these people. I know they're stubborn. I know they make mistakes. I, I know that they, they've not done the things that you've asked them to do. But God, please have grace and have mercy on them. Now, it's not that God just wanted to destroy them. But it's just the natural effects of you disobey. There is a consequence for that, you know? And so sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we're praying, God, please don't let them experience the consequence that they have so earned by their actions and by their choices. Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18 was praying and pleading to God. He said, 
I'm not asking you to, 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 to save the people, but just give them revelation. Let them see where they're headed, where this path is going. And sometimes we find ourselves praying in that way for someone. You know, maybe, maybe someone doesn't need to be delivered from the consequences of their action, but if they could just open their eyes and see that if I continue down this path, this is where I'm going to end up. You know, we, I read a book not too long ago. Uh, it was called The Principle of the Path, and it talked about how, you know, Every step, every step we take, every decision we make, it leads us to a particular place. And we always think about today, and we have a lot of trouble forecasting to, to tomorrow. Why? Because we like to think that it's going to be best case scenario. But if we plot it out, if, I mean, if we plot out the trajectory of our lives, we can see that every day, small decisions get us to a place of, of blessing or a place of curse. You know, we find ourselves reaping the, the, the benefits of, of whatever we made or whatever decisions we made. Uh, when I go to a restaurant and I sit down and I'm looking at the menu, you can, uh, they have a ton of choices, you know, and you can choose. Am I going to choose something healthy or am I going to choose something unhealthy? And, and it's very easy for us to, to make the unhealthy choice. Why? Because, well, just because you choose to eat a, a triple cheeseburger today doesn't mean you're going to have a heart attack tomorrow, right? Uh, but if you multiply that effect out over the course of a lifetime, you find yourself where you're like, man, I, I weigh a lot more than I used to, and this is not where I thought I was going to be. Uh, I have trouble walking up the stairs, and I did not think that was where, what was going to happen to me. You know, And so the choices that we make, they're small, but they put us on a trajectory to get somewhere. Sometimes we have to pray, God, open their eyes so that they can see that the trajectory they are on is not going to end how they want it to end. You know, that, that's one of the things that, that blows me away about our culture today. They say, you know, you shouldn't get married until you've, you've uh, moved in together and lived together for a while. You've got to try it on and see if you guys are a good fit, that sort of thing. And, and yet, when you look at the statistics, it shows you that the people who cohabitate before they get married, the chances that they will ever have a successful marriage, it just plummets. And yet people continue to, to fool themselves and think that, well, this is what I have to do. I have to try it on for size, you know? I've got to kick the tires and take it for a test drive to make sure this is going to work. That's not how God designed a marriage relationship to work. And yet people continue to fool themselves and say, hey, listen, I'm going to start my marriage in, in, in a wrong way and hope that it ends in the right way. And that's just not how life works. Um, Daniel, he prayed for his people in captivity. They were already experiencing the, the negative effects of their sinful choices. They had been taken away from their land. They had been dragged away and put in chains, and they're told where to go and what to do. They were in slavery again. The Israelites had been delivered from slavery once already, and now they find themselves back where they are. And Daniel, as an intercessor, prayed for his people. God, I know that we're, we're here because of our own choices. God, I know that we brought ourselves to this place, but God, if you will just have grace and have mercy on us. Nehemiah, that the pastor referenced earlier today, uh, when you read the, the story of him, you find that 11 times in the 13 chapters, uh, he says, so I prayed to the Lord of heaven. And so Nehemiah is someone who is continually going to God and praying for his people. See, Nehemiah, if you don't know the story, he found himself in a position of influence. He found himself uh, in, in a place where he was a cupbearer. He had access to the king. And so he could have used that access to set himself up. 
hey, we're already here in captivity. Hey, you know, our land is already destroyed, but I can at least make sure that my, my position here is pretty cushy and that my family's taken care of. But is that what Nehemiah did? No, he used his position of influence to go to bat for and to intercede for his people. As children of God, we are also in a position of influence. Think about it. If you are at the park, say you took your children over to the park and they're playing on the swings or whatever, and, uh, and one of the children runs up to you and says, I'm hungry. Uh, if it's your child, you're going to say, okay, well, maybe we'll go get some lunch after this, or here I've got some sandwiches in my bag, or whatever it is. You get them a snack, you take care of them. If some stranger's kid runs up to you and says, I'm hungry, you're like, where's your mom? You know, well, why are you coming to me? You know, and it's because our children have a position of influence for us, with us. When, when, they, when they have a need, we as their parents, we desire the good for them. And so we try to make arrangements for them. We try to, to help them and provide for them. And yet, um, we, uh, you know, we, we find ourselves in that same place with God. We are his children. And so we have a position of influence. When we ask him to do something, he wants to do it for us. Why? Because he wants us to be blessed. He wants us to experience grace and mercy. So we can use that position of influence on behalf of others as well. Nehemiah and the men who followed him were called to stand in the gap. You know, the, not all of the Israelites had been taken away in captivity. There had been a remnant that had been left behind. And because they were left behind and their resources were so depleted and, and all of their protection had been taken away and their walls had been torn down, they were unable to help themselves. So Nehemiah called a group of people together and he said, Hey, listen, our, our kinfolk, our brethren back in the old land, they're unable to help themselves. But we can go back and we can help them. And so that what did they do? They went back and they stood in the gaps. They filled in the holes. They rebuilt the people's protection. And they worked to, to do that. Nehemiah and the others shored up the weak places. They, they covered the areas of vulnerability. And we all have areas of vulnerability. We all have chinks in our armor. You know, places where you know, we might not be as strong in that area. And so we need the prayers of other people to help cover those weaknesses. And we know the weaknesses of the people around us, correct? I mean, just spend a little bit of time with someone. And, and you know, uh, looking at your, your family members, you know who, who's stronger, who's self, uh, self-reliant, who's independent, and who's not. Who needs a little help? Um, you know, you know the people that, you know, maybe, and you look at your children sometimes, and, and if you've got multiple children, you might say, well, this one's okay at math. You know, I don't have to worry about his math grade. He gets it. He, you know, he takes care of it on his own. But then you might have another child that math is just not their strong suit. You know, they're the more artistic type. And so when it comes to math, they're going to require a little extra help. It's the same way with our neighbors. We can know, you know, this one is strong. This one is plugged into a community. This one is, 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 is a strong believer. And you know the ones that aren't. And so, you know, there might be someone who, if they miss a week or two of church, I'm not worried about them because I know, hey, they're solid, you know, they're, they're, they're good in their faith walk. And so I'm not worried about why haven't they been here for a couple of weeks. Maybe someone was sick. Maybe they were out of town, that sort of thing. But then, you know, the others who maybe aren't so strong in their faith. And so that's when we need to intercede for them and step up and say, God, I don't know why they weren't here. I don't know what's going on in their life, but open my eyes. Help me see if there's a need and help me to meet that if I can. 
Ezra also uh, stood as an intercessor. And then finally, our greatest example of an intercessor is Jesus himself. John chapter 17 is, uh, is recorded. It's a very long prayer of Jesus. And this is just after uh, they had the Last Supper and just prior to him being arrested. So between the Last Supper, where he commemorates this, and this is going to be the last time we eat together and all of that, in, instead of going off and worrying about himself primarily, he records this huge long prayer praying for his disciples, saying, God, look after them. They're about to go through some really tough stuff in the, in the next few days. This is going to shake their world. It's going to rock their faith. You know, it's, it's going to mess with their heads. And so, God, I want you to protect them. I want you to watch over them. When the time is right, I want you to, to restore them back to the right relationship with you. And so he interceded on their behalf. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 and 25 says that there were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. What is Jesus doing right now? As we sit in this room right now, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, praying for you, praying for me, praying for our lost loved ones, interceding and asking God, bless them. Forgive them. Have grace. Have mercy on them. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 says, Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Jesus is in a place of honor. He's in a place of position of influence. He's at a place where he has the ear of God. And what does he use that for? He uses that for us. We also have access to the throne room of God through prayer. And so we have to use that influence for others. There's nothing wrong with power and influence as long as it's used not for selfish motives. You know, we, we, we often talk about uh, politicians that are corrupt and they, they maneuver and they, they, they manipulate the system to benefit themselves, to benefit their children, to benefit their friends. And we look at it and we say, that's cronyism, it's corruption, it's not used properly. But why do we elect them to that position of power in the first place? Because we know that if they have the power, if they have the influence, they can use that to help the, the people that they represent. And so when, po when politics are working the way they're supposed to, they go to bat for us. They go and they make sure that the laws that are passed are just. They make sure that the, that the, the, the policies that are put in place are, are not harmful to their constituents. So there's nothing wrong with having power and influence as long as it is not used purely for selfish gain. You know, and so that's what we have to do. We are given a position of influence by our relationship to God, we are his children. And so we have to use that for others. Ravi Zacharias was talking uh, one time about intercession. And he was talking about the burden that God places in our heart for other people. And he said this, he, and I'm, I'm loosely paraphrasing, but he said, there's not a single one of us that can bear the aggregate of human suffer, suffering. Only the heart of God can do that. So what does that mean? When we look around the world uh, and see what's going on, when we see how corruption uh, is, is prevalent, how there's hatred in, in our communities and division, and, and, and we see uh, people that are suffering from disease, and uh, some of it's preventable, uh, and, and, and yet the, the resources aren't given to them, and we can look at the world and we can just be so overcome by the weight of it. 
Because you, you look and see how many problems and how many needs there are, and you think, there's no way. I can't do anything about that. But God, what he does is he hurts for all of us, but what he will do is he will take a burden and he will break it down into a bearable size portion and he will give it to each of us. None of us can fix the world. You know, none of us have that power to fix everything that's wrong with this world. But we each have power and we each have influence and we each have position where we can fix something, you know, and it might be as simple as fixing the loneliness of our neighbor. Or it might be as simple as blessing someone anonymously because God has blessed us. You know, whatever it is, God takes that burden that he feels for every single one of us that would overwhelm any one of us individually, and, and then he breaks it down for you. So the, the problem becomes when we become so overwhelmed that we do nothing. Anybody ever been in a situation like that where you had so much to do that by the time you wrote it all down and you think about, okay, these are all the things I got to do today, and you see the list and you're like, man, I'm, I think I'm just going to go back to bed, right? <laughs> we can't allow ourselves to become discouraged and think, I just can't, you know, they say, you know, I, I can't even, you know, uh, I, I can't adult today. You know, we, we have those thoughts sometimes, but we can't have that about our faith. See, we can't say, I can't, I can't feed every orphan, so I shouldn't feed any. You know, we can't say, I, I shouldn't minister to anybody who's sick, uh, so, uh, or to everybody who's sick, so I won't minister to any. You know, we can't do that sort of thing. God is relying on us to take that burden and to take that position and to take that influence that you have and use it for the benefit of others. Uh, in one of my favorite uh, movie series is The Lord of the Rings. And, and there's a, a, a time when they're getting ready to go into battle. And, and they're all, uh, the, the, the good guys are all holed up in this castle. And they're under siege. And, and the, the bad guys are coming to get them. And they've got the whole castle surrounded. And you look out and it was just like a sea of bad guys coming to get you. And, and the, the king of, of this kingdom, he, he stands up and he says, What can a man do in the face of such reckless hate? And when you look out and you see all the problems in the world, you can feel like that too. But God, has he breaks it down and he's going to provide for you and help you to make a difference. The question is, will you shoulder your portion of the load? Will you pray for others? And guys, prayer sometimes is hard. I, I recall times when I have sat down and I've said, okay, I'm going to be an intercessor today. And you know, it, it's like, it's, it's funny. Every day you try to improve a little bit. And there have been times when I said, you know what? I, I want to be a prayer warrior today. So I sit down and I get out my prayer list of things I've written down of people I want to pray for. And you start praying and you pray for this and you pray for that. And you just go down the list, right? And then you get to the end of it and, and, and you're like, okay, God, I'm done praying. And then you look at the clock and it's been like five minutes. And it's like wait a minute, that, that's not how I was, I was imagining this prayer time to go. You know, I, I was expecting to, to be a little more involved. I was expecting it to, to accomplish a little bit more than five minutes, you know? And so you have to ask yourself to, and ask God to open your eyes and help you to pray for people. And, and sometimes God will give you wisdom to pray in ways that you don't understand. There have been times when, when I was praying and, and the, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon me and I began praying for others in ways and, and, and I prayed for people and then later on I contacted them and I said, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on in your life today, but, but the Holy Spirit put you on my heart today and so I prayed for you and, and I was met with, you know, with, with thanks because they said, you didn't know what I was going through, but God did. 
And he assigned you the task of praying for me that day. And so when we're faithful, when we pray, when we intercede for others, we can do that and we can minister uh, for that. Some of us might say, I feel more burdened with the responsibility of what I feel God is showing me, and I'm unsure about my, what my response is supposed to be. Well, if God shows you a need, then you should meet it. To the best of your ability, you should meet it. So if you notice you know, that, that your neighbor, neighbor doesn't get many visitors, they don't get many packages, they don't seem to go anywhere on vacations, you know, you've noticed that pattern. What do you think God's asking you to do in that situation? He wants you to reach out. He wants you to, to help them. You know, maybe, maybe you see someone who's overwhelmed because they're a single parent and they're having to try and raise children on their own. And when you see them struggling, do you think you're supposed to just say, oh, well, it stinks to be them. I guess, you know, hopefully God will send someone to help them. No, God showed you that, showed you their struggle because he wants you to help them. You know, and, and that's hard to do. Anybody here ever changed someone else's kid's diaper? Anybody ever worked in the nursery, done something? Yeah, I see Miss Carolyn. She's like, can I raise all, all 87 hands? You know, uh, it's, it's harder to change someone else's kid's diaper than your own. You know, you get the smell so bad. Elizabeth, when she was uh, working in, in early childhood, she would have to change diapers sometimes for, for some of the special needs children that, that weren't all the way potty trained. And uh, she and her, uh, her co-workers, they would get the toilet paper and wrap it up and shove it up their nose, you know, because it's like, if I don't, I'm, I'm going to blow, I'm going to throw up today. You know, it, it's bad, you know. So it's harder sometimes to care for other people than it is to care for your own. But we're still called to do that. Your response when God shows you to need, uh, shows you a need is to pray and then act, to act and then pray. James tells us that faith without works is dead. You know, he said, you show me, you show me someone who does not do acts of kindness, acts of ministry, acts of intercession, acts of whatever, and I'll show you someone who has no faith. You know, and so we have to pray and then act. God, give me wisdom, give me direction. And then let me follow through. And then while I'm following through, I'm going to be praying the whole time that, God, you make this effective, that you make this make a difference in their life. Yeah. All of us have different spiritual gifts. That's one of the great parts about being part of a community because we don't all have the same spiritual gifts. Some of us are great singers. Some of us should probably keep our day jobs, right? Uh, some of us can, can speak or teach. Uh, but some of us uh, are too frightened to even get up in front of someone. You know, some of us are, are, are gifted with, with seeing a need and, and meeting a physical need. We, we have a, a spiritual gift to, to meet other people's needs. And, and then there are others of us who are just oblivious. You know, the, the point is, is as a group, we come together and all of our spiritual gifts work together to help the entire community around us. And so the thing is, we sometimes think that that's someone else's problem. That's someone else's job. You know, we, we say, well, I'm just, I'm just the AV guy. I just sit up in the booth. I, I know computers and soundboards and all that. Uh, it's not my job to pray. Don't we have a prayer team for that? Why don't we get them on the job? Why don't we let them pray? You know, and yet we all have a, a, a job and a responsibility to intercede for others. No matter how else you may be gifted, God has called you and equipped you for a ministry of intercession. Anybody here ever been asked to do a job and then you weren't given the tools to do it? It's awful hard to do it when you don't have the right tools. There's nothing more frustrating than getting out to go and work on your car or to do something like that. And then you, you open up the hood and you get in there and you realize, I don't have the right socket. 
you know, or I don't have the right uh, tool to get this uh, oil filter off. And yet, if you had the right tool, you could do it in, in no time flat. God doesn't ask us to pray for others and then not give us the tools for it. God has given you the ability and the power to pray. And if you don't know what to pray, he's given you the Holy Spirit that can pray for you. I know that there have been times in my life where I just didn't even know what to pray. You know, you have to be careful sometimes asking people, how can I pray for you? Because sometimes you might hear more information than you want to know, right? Uh, So sometimes you might just say, I'm going to pray for you and, and God knows what the need is. And so I'm going to pray right now. God gives you the tools to do that. God doesn't ask for any fancy, special magic words when we're praying. All we have to do is speak to our Father and say, God, I need you to help this person today. God, I need you to protect them. I need you to watch over them. Sometimes we have to pray for somebody, and they don't even see the, own, the, the need in their life. You know, We have to pray that, that God will help them. And then also, we have to pray with persistence. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. This is Jesus teaching the disciples. And he says, then teaching them more about prayer. Hey, that's pretty convenient because that's kind of what we've been talking about, right? So he used this story. He said, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Um, If you ever come and knock on our door and no one answers and it looks like someone's home, that's probably Elizabeth. Now, I'm not trying to throw her under the bus, but she does not like to answer the door. Uh, So so, uh, whenever you come and knock on, on our door at our house, she starts yelling. She's like, hey, John, someone's at the door. Go and get it. You know, she does not like to answer the door. And so this this passage reminded me a bit of about that. Uh, But anyway, um, Jesus continues on. He says, I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Shameless persistence. How many of you guys have ever felt shameless before? You've ever felt, I don't care what they say. You know, you you build up some courage and you're like, I don't care who thinks I'm a big dummy. You know, I'm going to do it anyway. That's how it has to be about prayer. You know, there have been times when I was in my car and I was praying and I was calling out to the Lord and I'm sitting at a stoplight and I look over and someone's just looking at me and their eyes are like that. They're like, man, he's crazy, you know, because I'm praying. I'm calling out to God. I'm not just and and you can tell I'm not singing along because I'm not drumming on my 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 uh, steering wheel. But but they look over and they're like, man, this guy's talking to himself. Right. I'm shameless. If someone's going to make fun of me for calling on the Lord, well, they can just make fun because God is my friend. God is watching out for me. God is my father. So we have to be shameless and and, and persistent. Jesus continued on. So I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. It's one thing if someone comes and knocks on your door and then walks away when they don't get a response. But if they knock on your door and then they wait 30 seconds and they knock again, and then they wait 30 seconds and they knock again, and they start beating on the door, they start pounding on it, they start hollering out, hey, I know you're in there, come on out, I've got something I need to say to you. 
That's what we need to do with God. Not that God is hard of hearing, not that God doesn't want to answer us, but God is building up patience and persistence and reliance on him. When we trust God for something big, sometimes it takes a while for the answer to get there. You know, some problems are simple. It's easy to fix just like that. But some of them are big. Some of them are really big. And it takes some time to line everything up. You know, we see that true uh, when we look at Daniel, where it said he began praying and the, the response was delayed. And, and now the, 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 the response was sent right away, but it took time for the message to get back. You know, and so we have to be persistent and we have to be shameless. So now the question is, if I'm called to be an intercessor, who do I start praying for? You know, we like to pray for ourselves, right? We like to say, you know, God bless me. And then we, we like to pray for our family, right? Because, and really that's just selfishness too. We, we care for those that we love. But if we're really going to intercede, we have to learn how to pray for others, for strangers, for people we don't even like. That's the toughest. You know, if there's someone you don't like, it's real hard to say, God, I know they're mean as a snake. But I pray that you would just bless them, bless their socks off, right? That's the hardest prayer there is to make. And sometimes it's not even something, you know, simple. You know, we laugh about mean as a snake, but sometimes there are people who've done some really nasty, terrible things to us. You know, there's, there's been some people who've said, done, said and done some terrible things to, to me or to people that I love. And for me to come before God and to say, God, I want you to bless that person, that is the hardest thing in the world to do. And yet God has called us to do that. So the question is, who are we going to intercede for? Who is God calling you to pray for? Well, let's start with the hardest. Let's think of someone who has wronged you. So we're going to do this today as, as a group, and if the musicians want to come. Today we're going to ask ourselves who we need to start praying for. Why are we going to do it all together? Because there is, there's power when we all come together and agree. But we're going to pray for someone who's wronged us. So I want each of you to begin thinking. Maybe there's someone who's wronged you, and, and you've been having trouble forgiving them. You know, you've been having trouble moving on past the thing that they did to you or did to someone that, that you loved. Maybe there was some sort of injustice. It's hard to pray for someone uh, when they've hurt you. Maybe it's someone who's blind to the danger of their situation. You know, when we're in the world, when we're doing things our own way, we don't even see that we're headed towards a cliff. We're headed towards, uh, you know, they used to call it cruising for a bruising, right? You know, we don't see that if we continue on this path, we're going to end up in a world of hurt. And so sometimes we have to pray for people who don't even see how dangerous the path they're on is on. Sometimes we have to pray for people whose situation is so dire that there is no human earthly response that can be made. You know, there are people in the world who've been healed from stage four cancer when it was beyond the help of anyone, any doctor, any nurse, any drug, God can heal them. And so sometimes we pray for people who, who are just beyond human help, but God calls us to pray for them. And then sometimes... We just need to intercede for somebody who can't even pray for themselves. You know, there was a time in my life where I was going through some pretty nasty stuff and I was pretty upset and I had cried every tear there was to cry and I had prayed every word I knew to pray and I had prayed till my voice was hoarse. I had prayed till I just run out of words. And that's when I turned to some people who cared for me and I said, I just need you to pray for me. I, I can't do it anymore. 
And I remember sitting in their presence and, and, and just listening to them pray because I couldn't even pray for myself. There's a story of, a, of, a, of an older gentleman who, he was a, a theology professor, and he was uh, one of those people had that, that kind of lovey-dovey, uh, you know, almost too sweet relationship with his wife. I mean, they just, they held hands everywhere they went. They, made, they batted their eyes and, and goo-gooed at each other all the time, and, and, then, and then she passed away. And, and it was terrible. You know, he, he thought, how can I go on? How can I teach? How can I point people to God? How can I continue in this when I've lost the only light that I had in my world? And so he, he even began to question his faith. This was a seminary professor. And he was saying, I'm not even sure that God's there anymore. I'm not sure that he hears me. I'm not sure that he hears my need. And so a group of his friends came together and they said, listen, we want to have a prayer meeting with you. He said, I can't. He said, I can't pray anymore. It doesn't do any good. And they said, fine, we're not going to pray with you. We're going to pray for you. And so they came together and for the next several weeks, they would come together as a group of friends and support that man and lift him up in prayer. And over the period of, of about three or four weeks, they would just pray for him and pray and pray. And then he called them one day and he said, listen, uh, I, I need to change up our prayer meeting. He said, because God has begun to open my eyes and show me his goodness again. He said, I don't need you to pray for me anymore. I need you to come pray with me and let's pray for others together. He said, because intercession makes a difference and it, and it, and it makes a difference in people's lives. So if you all would, would come to the front here, well, I think we're all going to pray together. And so I want to ask you, as you come forward, I want you to think of someone that you know of that needs intercession and needs prayer in your life. Like I said, it could be someone who's harmed you, who's hurt you, who's done you wrong, who's done you dirty, as they like to say. We need to pray for them. It could be someone who doesn't know that they're headed towards a train wreck. It could be someone who needs God and there's nothing else that anybody else could do for them. Or it could be someone who just, they can't even pray for themselves anymore. Maybe they don't even know how. You know, there are people out there who, who they, they, they think they, they're, they're Christians. They, they say, if you ask them and they, you fill it out on a survey, they'll say, I'm a Christian. But they don't know how to read their Bible. They don't know how to pray. That's when God calls intercessors to stand in for them. So I want you all to close your eyes. And what we're going to do is just, I want you to picture in your mind the need or the person or the situation that you feel needs intercession. And we're going to pray together. And let's all speak out and pray out with our voices. I'm going to turn off my microphone uh, because I don't want my voice to be heard over yours because I think there's power in corporate prayer. There's power when we all call out and, and call to our Father and say, God, we need you. And it doesn't matter if you've been on the prayer team and, and you, you've got this intercession game down or if this is the first time you've ever prayed for someone else, we're going to do that right now.